Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Ryan Hanning, regular contributor, brilliant author, uh, husband, father, and homesteader. This is one of the finest. And it's funny, this episode, more than any other this season, is taking me right back to the very beginnings of Love Good. I mean, summer of 2013, 45 house concerts in about 60 days all across the country, as far west as LA, as far north as Boston, as far south as Tampa, where I now live. And all I can say is Dr. Ryan Hanning, on top of being brilliant, just has great taste in music. He's got great taste in music. And that's what we talk about today. That's what reminds me of the earliest sort of conversations and concerts and, and moments and, and real vision casting around Love Good, which was how do we transform culture through beautiful music? And obviously we have since expanded far beyond music, but we're you know diving into a conversation today about top music recommendations of the year and a little bit of a philosophical conversation about the role that music plays both in reflecting and transcending reality, the, the role that it plays in disposing our soul to virtue and ultimately how it can transform us and the culture around us. So really fun conversation. I'll be back with Dr. Ryan in just a moment. In the meantime, enjoy this beautiful tune called Tomorrow by Dawson Hollow off of their brand new album. Sands of time, you drop them Dr. Ryan Hanning, I never know who's supposed to welcome who these days. I know. I see. I, I am. I am. Am I more Nashville than you? I don't even know. I, I, was, I, I don't know that's possible. By the time this episode releases, I won't own any real estate in Nashville. Well, well you always have a home over at our place. So, I'm going to be depending on that. Yeah, absolutely. In the years ahead. Oh, the kids! You're like a celebrity in our household, and you come yeah. over. Like the kids are excited. So, yeah, are you guys still doing this like hardcore hospitality thing where you just like move out of master bedrooms and you make it available to priests and friends and missionaries and? Yeah, it's it's been you know it was difficult during the pandemic, of course. Like we, you know we weren't able to have exchange students and things like that. But yeah, we our kids suffered by not being able to offer that radical hospitality. Huh. Like they really did, like yo, know, because they love it. I mean, they don't just find it like formative. You don't just look at it and see this is really good for my kids. They actually enjoy it. Don't yeah, they? they enjoy it. I'll tell you why. I mean, because well, we've had conversations with the kids, like even even during this time over the last you know, few years of not having as many people over, like talking with them about like what do they miss about it, and you know, our kids, you know, so they they sort of highlight a few things. One, when when people come over, it gives you an opportunity just 
for like for a few brief moments not to care about yourself as much. Yeah. Which is like really healthy. And like to have like your seven-year-old sort of tell you that <laughs> is like kind of, you know, it's like, kind of like a punch in the gut. You know, she's like, she's like, oh, well, you know, when dad, when people come over, you know, all of a sudden that we sort of stop as a family to really focus and really think about what they need. That's pretty cool. And I'm like, what yeah, right on. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. And then, you know, at the same time too, then, then all the fun that we have is just that, that interaction. So our friends who typically come out with us while they're dropping their daughter off to Steubenville, she's graduated. So they came and stayed with us again, wow. uh, which is always a joy. So they came and stayed like for four days. I was out of town for the first two days, came back and then sort of convinced them to stay another day so that we can hang out. And then we had, uh, got a call from a former student who said, hey, one of my housemates is broke down 60 miles south of Nashville. Wow. On her way from Houston to Steubenville. So can you go pick her up? And uh, so we um, we did not have to pick her up because by, you know, just how the Lord works in his providence, one of the other professors from Steubenville was actually driving up from Memphis to Nashville that day. He was a friend of mine. Hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, I know her. I'll pick her up. So she stayed with us for for a day and the kids just had wow. so much fun with her. And anyway, so like, yeah, so we've, we've been able to, to open that up. And yeah, we do. We kick the boys out to the storm shelter and we turn their room, which is the master. They, they have the bigger room because it's also the playroom. So uh-huh. they have the master bedroom. So we just turned that into a hospitality suite. And on the new property, on the actual farm, the the bigger property, we're building a bunkhouse. That's great. So man. we'll be able to have hopefully people people year round. So what's neat is obviously you're, you know, a few years into your your time here in, in Middle Tennessee. And we talked a lot about place and membership mm-hmm. last time around. But one of the things that is just obviously defining of Nashville, the hallmark of the city and the, the kind of worldwide sort of nickname even sort of reminds us of this yeah. music city usa yeah you're far more the expert when it comes to music right now than i am I, I live in cigar city usa at this point and i have to say i i have probably smoked more cigars in the last year than i have seen live shows i mean never before <laughs> Which is not hard I've to do said the last few years not not too hard to do. Not many live shows but yeah. but even in florida i mean from the moment i moved down there you're not hearing a lot of live original music but there's still tons of just like middle-aged men playing classic rock yeah. at every little beach restaurant oh, you can yeah, of find. Course, and there's, yeah. there's live music. It's very different from the 200 live shows a night oh, yeah. you get here. And I have to ask, like, what have you been listening to? You know, you, you are actually one of those people who's always recommending new music to me. I could only hope that along the way that Love Good has recommended a lot of great yeah. music to you. What's the latest? Yeah, so I mean, actually, we'll give Love's good props. Love Jackie Minton, just loving, yeah, that stuff coming out. Keep it coming, keep it coming. Jackie is amazing. Yeah, she's you know, it's interesting too. Like, so I think we've talked about this. You know, I'm not a musician, so I I come at music very different. Like, it's like a true amateur in the sense that I just really love it. Mm. I mean, when we moved to Nashville, the first place we ever moved to. Every time we moved to a new home, we would always go meet our neighbors, you know, because we want to be in a relationship with them, right? We're going to mm-hmm. share. We're going to occupy this little space together, you know, and, and, and so they'd always look at us like we were nuts. Nashville is the first place we moved to. You know, we're just north in White's Creek, and all the neighbors came over to us. I mean, we had people helping us, like, move the stuff out of our car. You know, we had people, you know, coming over, and it was the same questions from everyone. So they asked... Where you go to church? Oh, actually, it was interesting. In our neighborhood, that, that came later. It was, what do you play? Uh, <laughs> what instrument do you play? What are you growing? Because it's all agriculture. And then where do you go to church? And, and do you want to come with me this Sunday? <laughs> wow. So your know, music is like just such a central part. So we have, you know, our musician lays down tracks on the Hammond organ and he's, uh, he plays the keys. So he has your know, artists coming over all the time and he lays them down in his home studio. So we have wow. music going there. Our farm, our farmhouse is rented out to a bluegrass band called Air Show that plays nearly every night of the week in Nashville. And they also were just on a 22 city tour. 
Crazy. Uh, which is awesome. They, so wow. they just came back from that. They're really excited. They, they're they're great. They've been moving from bluegrass more to like rock and soul. It's uh-huh. so like that fusion's really cool. It's awesome. So they've been doing great. So outside of those sort of ultra local opportunities for music, I've been listening a lot. It's interesting. I found myself like captivated. So I, I still listen to a lot of piano music, both yours. Who's that guy? The one who does Oh, Bantz? Yeah, oh. he's amazing. And yeah. Like, yeah, he's just incredible. But also a guy named Mike Soldis does beautiful orchestral arrangements. So, yeah. And a lot of his, his original songs are really beautiful too. But I found myself just like listening to this band. It's a German band that has like a really British sound called the Giant Rooks. Yeah. And I was like hearing their music and I hadn't seen like what they look like or anything. And I'm like, I'm, I'm digging this. Like I'm just totally, I'm like, so much so, I'm like, I'm looking at their merch page. Like, that's how much I'm into them, right? And they did like a live show via Zoom. And like, one side of me was amazed because they were able to pull it off so seamlessly. Like, it was actually really good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you had to do it through that that prophylactic of the screen was frustrating, right? It's not a true experience. But nonetheless, like, you know, it was actually really good. So I got... You know, been listening to them a lot and I really like them. They're from Germany. They're like in their 20s, like young 20s. And I'm trying to figure out like, why is this music like resonating with me? Are there lyrics in German? Uh, no, all English. Oh. They speak English better than we do. Like oh, it's, it's just a shame. But uh, anyways, I'm, I'm wondering like, <laughs> why is this like, you know, I'm like in my 40s, you know, in my office doing work. And this is what I have in my headphones. It's hilarious. And like, if anyone else like walked into that, they'd be like, "What is going you on?" Expect it from like a middle school angsty. Totally. Boy. Yeah. You know, maybe a high school boy, but yeah. And, and so I reflected on it. I'm like, I know why. Like, it hit me all of a sudden because this music, like, fits how I feel right now. Mm. Like, this is why when we're sad, we listen to like, you know, Luther Vandross or something. Right? Like, this is like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, certain things like hit us, and and it, it occurred to me too. Like, a lot of the music coming out. Music has a way of of essentially placing a tonal quality mm. on how the culture feels at any given yeah. time. Yeah, and I think you know for myself and, and you know I think for all of us we were feeling a particular way over the last yeah and, and you know it's not just the pandemic there's just been a lot going on and, and because of all that going on all the angst and all the pressures I needed music that wasn't about that mm. but had the angst that still like gave me some reprieve I had that carth you know that real yeah, you know. Yeah. A real Carth is a real healing. And, and also then like Harry Connick Jr.'s gospel album. Yeah, like, you told me about that. Dude, he, there's 16 instruments on this thing and he's played, he played all of them. Yeah. And he was really, it's interesting, he had a lot of good friends in the in the blues and jazz industry die from COVID. Oh, wow. So he was, you know, in a, in a very different sort of position. So he he was like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make an album, but I'm not willing to expose mm. anyone for the purpose of this. Mm. So he literally laid down all the tracks and a few of the tracks, he didn't like how it sounded in his home studio. So he was like figuring out like other studios he can go to where he wasn't around people, where he's just literally Dang. in isolation doing this. Dang. And then he sent it and had it mastered and everything. And he's taken some license with it, which is really interesting. Like, so I mentioned to you, Amazing Grace. You know, even the, the so he had other friends record some of the background vocals mm-hmm. that he's looped into it now. But even a lot of the background vocals are his too. It's just like, it's incredible, but he does like a random like trumpet solo that I feel like was six minutes. It's probably a lot less. Yeah. But like, why have this like jazz fusion, like trumpet solo in the middle of a standard, like Amazing Grace? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it just works because it's so like, it, it's so out of place. It just fits sort of how we all feel right now. Yeah. Carrie Underwood's gospel album, oh, like yeah, yeah. knock your socks off. Like, I mean, it, it, so it's interesting. So there's this one you know, this reality that, that that music hits the tonal quality of of the culture of the time of the feeling right you, you know you you hear medieval music i mean music historians do this 
very much fits the time, mm. right? You, you go to different countries, a very different musicality that fits that culture For and sure. the movement and the pace. You go to New York versus West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in, in, you know, going to punk shows and Scott shows. My cousins were in a band. I yeah. travel with them. It's awesome, you know? But very different East Coast, West Coast. I mean, I mean Florida, all you hear is Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, it, yeah, well, why? Yeah. Why not, right? Yeah, because it's all that's, you really want to think about. That's all you want to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the reality is, you know, music not only soothes the savage beast, but it also, you know, gives a sound mm. to a time and to a place. And so, mm. yeah, that's, that's been sort of you know, interesting for me right now, why I'm listening to what I'm listening to and how it really, yeah, it's, it's sort of like a healing, you know? That's cool. And when you compare it to what you have listened to the most down through the years, I mean, is it very different right now when you think about Harry Connick Jr. and you think about this German sort of angsty... <laughs> I don't know if you call it punk rock or what you'd call that. I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah. German but, angst music. <laughs> yeah. Capture your life 10 years ago. What were you listening to when you were, you know, first raising kids or when you were first yep. off in college or you were first maybe even discovering music for the first time yeah. that wasn't just your parents' music? Like, could you kind of capture some seasons of your life up until this point with the tonal quality of the the soundtrack that was, you know, your your life? Yeah, absolutely. Both your life and sort of the culture you lived in. And there is some sort of, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of commercial music sort of flattens us out. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people sense this, right? Like they listen to say, it all sounds the same or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really fit it. In fact, very often the things that become sort of the standard like 15, 20, 30 years later mm-hmm. are the things that were actually less commercial. Yeah. So I was, I was telling you, I was watching this interview. And I, I, forgive me, I forget the guy's name. I should know this, but it was essentially done about four or five years ago on the 25th anniversary of Nirvana's release of Nevermind, mm-hmm. which, you know, for, for, for me entering the high school at the time, like, and being into music, I was trying to pick up guitar. My friends were in a, in a punk band that was getting, you know, my cousins were in a punk band that was actually touring with some people that we all respected. So they were like, you know, playing with the offspring and, Dexter, who is lead singer for Offspring, was like a dad to sort of because he was like an older guy who had kids, who's who's who understood the music and wasn't really like all the bad parts of that culture that wasn't part of his seasonal sure, life because sure. he was a dad. But anyway, so listening to his interview, reflecting on 25 years after that song came out, and he said that he said essentially he said, "So why is that song so successful?" And he said two things. He said one, he says, you know, Nirvana never sought to be commercialized. Like the commercial market came to them. Yeah. And some of the songs they did that are their most controversial songs were in reaction. They were, he was joking. They were trying to get unfunded and delisted, which mm. I think is hilarious. Crazy. But he was saying, he goes, the only reason he thinks it was so popular was because it was an honest representation of the culture that they lived in. It was authentic mm-hmm. and it, it, it met, and he didn't say in this word, but sort of essentially it met the tonal quality of the culture of the time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he sort of, it's really interesting. So both that individual season of life and then that just sort of overarching, you know, culture that you're in. Yeah. And Uh, very different in Florida versus Nashville versus California versus New York. And I'm a little embarrassed to to say this, although it connects to our last conversation about membership and stability and a sense of belonging. But I've, I've resorted in the last year to listen to a lot of the same music I was really obsessed with in high school. Oh, it's, yeah. And early college. And maybe this is part of just the adjustment of trying sure. to bring some of that previous stability with me into this very new environment. But I'm, I'm almost unwilling to listen to new music right now. Hmm. Anything that doesn't connect me to some sense of continuity with my past, for some reason, is very hard. It's so a, it's a yeah. lot of DC talk. <laughs> nice, nice. It's a lot of like jars of clay. Oh, absolutely. Well, jars of clay is like a standard for me. They're always. Bebo Norman. I mean, I'm going oh, yeah, way back. Yeah. But then long before I discovered any of those artists, I was obsessed with Kansas and okay. Sticks yeah. and The Who. So th- there's just been a lot of 
classic rock, a lot of like late nineties Christian rock, yeah. which I don't know, you know, that horrible movie was put out not too long ago by Netflix called One Week Away. Did you see this? No. Oh, it was bad. I, I'm, I'm really blessed. I don't have Netflix and yeah. part of my Father's Day gift is actually divesting from Amazon. So that's what I've hey, requested. It's so I have, I have canceled my Netflix and my Amazon account all in the last we're, year. Now we're going to be canceled. Now, now that you've said that. It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I had access to this Netflix movie through my mom recently. Okay. And we couldn't even finish it. It was so bad. It was a musical based on Christian music in the late 90s. It was so painful. Now, the only redeeming moments was like Stephen Curse Chapman was the lifeguard at a summer camp. And oh, Amy Grant was the the camp nurse. And like, it was like, there was some good moments, but it was just so bad, you know? And uh, there's no excuse for that. Come that, on. I would think there's no excuse. Yeah. But all that to say, there is a part of me that also finds that music stabilizes. Yep. Music sort of reminds me where I've come from and, and, what my life has been about up until a certain point, you know? So this is the other reality is it's, it's not so much a capturing of a, a cultural moment for me or even the, the place that I find myself in. Yes, I do listen to more Jimmy Buffett than ever before, but that's largely just because, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, you open up the door, yeah. you're looking at the ocean, like it just feels right. Yep. You know, you're doing your laundry, whatever. Well, um, and they play it through loudspeakers in Florida. You don't. It's not, everywhere. You might not know this, but it's like everywhere you go. <laughs> it's true. Do, 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 do. It's yeah, true. It's just there. But I find that there's also this element of music kind of reminding me who I am, yeah. where I've come from. And so like right now, there's just not a lot of new music. And it's not because I don't have access to it. I still got friends like you. We still got Marisol constantly curating our Spotify, but I've even gotten into a lot of cover yeah. music lately. Yep. You know, we've got this, we got a cover playlist on Spotify yeah. right now that I, I just turned into a, like a nostalgic pile of just mush yep. every time I listen to it and it feels good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I listened to Jeff Buckley's version of Leonard Cohen's Alleluia yesterday. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, like the kids came in, they're like, dad, why are you crying? I'm like, no reason. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Just caught up in the moment, guys. But like music has a way of doing that. For it's sure. really, I mean, I think, you know, for, for all the, the forms of media that are available to us, you know, it's interesting things like, you know, paintings don't move typically the human heart as much now anymore as they used to because mm -hmm. we're, we live in such a, a world in which because of cameras and whatnot that the visual arts are, are more difficult to captivate your attention. Interesting, yeah. But, but music has really sort of, there's, there's something there. In fact, it's interesting. I was reading uh, an article about uh, the, 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 the essentially deja vu, right? It's this idea where I've been here before, I know this. And, and the, the article is from Nature was, was asking whether or not this resides maybe in the olfactory system where mm. you, you smell something that that then triggers this immediate memory that you think, oh, I've been here. I know this place, yeah, right? Yeah. But then the other one, so that was like number one, but the other one was was your ear, what you're hearing. Totally. So certain sounds can take you back. Certain sounds can change your mood. Certain music can lift you up. It can bring you down. It can make you more pensive. Mm -hmm. Like this is just known. So what, what you're imbibing the media, you know, not just what you're seeing in videos, but like also what you're hearing is really is really forming whether you whether you know it or not, mm -hmm. you know, the movements of your soul. Yeah. And so I think, you know, selecting good music and entering in and recognize, just being aware that, wow, mm -hmm. music, music has an effect on me and, and music helps provide, and it's either true or untrue then. Does this music actually reflect either the tonal qualities or the lyrics or the sound or whatever the case might be of, of the time I'm living in? Or, you know, mm -hmm. does this communicate something or not? Mm -hmm. And I, I think by and large, you know, no offense to, to many artists, I think artists themselves that make music, they're, they're trying to communicate something, right? right? This is why they're doing it. And whether you're, 
successful or unsuccessful, uh, you know, I, I've met artists who are, who have, you know, essentially have arrived, but they're still artists. Yeah. Like they're really pouring themselves into this. So even in those senses, like some of that larger commercial music, I mean, really understanding this is why if I listen to a new song and I like it, I almost immediately go back and look at the story behind it. Mm. Like why the artist write it? Like right. what's going on? Because that gives you a new context for experiencing <laughs> it. So yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this man, giant rooks. Why am I listening to a bunch of broody young men well, sing about you see, and I, and unrequited I, love? Why is that my on my playlist right now? Totally. And I, I suppose the question too is not just, is this reflecting reality as I am, am living it, but is it elevating me? Yeah, is you it, know, yep. is it sort of pointing me towards the eternal truths yep. and it doesn't always have to include like something really theological right obviously that just it has to be true it like has to be true yep. it has to be it has to predispose us to virtue yep. towards a fuller richer less selfish life yep. you know and and this is i suppose the age-old conversation that we've been having you know for the last eight years that love good has been in existence what is this role that music plays in shaping the soul and conditioning us for virtue in some cases for really predisposing us to vice. Yeah. We've got a few minutes here. Yeah. We talk a lot about the love good standard and I've, I've always found it difficult to put into words exactly what we mean by the love good standard. We've probably changed some of the language in there, you know, four or five times. Yeah, we have, it, we have it on our refrigerator, man. It's up there. I think at the end of the day, it, there's a demand I think on our soul to first and foremost be virtuous yeah. in order to really discern the effect of something like music on our soul and the souls of others, period, right? I'm bringing this up because lately I haven't been listening to as much music, even though what I have been listening to has been sort of throwbacks to high yeah. school and college and, you know, beach music, right? It's kind of <laughs> embarrassing, but it is what it is. I would say by and large, I'm just not listening to a lot of music, period. And there's more desire for silence, mm, yeah. probably because my life is feeling a little bit more chaotic in a really fun way and a really crazy, you know, sort of exciting, apostolic way. Life has been an adventure this past year. And so the, the reality is I don't have quite as much tranquility in my soul to, to sort of mess with yeah. when it comes to, to the music I listen to. And so if I'm not listening to, to classical music, or very occasionally on the weekend, country music and, you know, music from the late 90s, I'm just probably not listening to music at all. And I'm wondering if that is in some way indicative or just reflective of where my soul's at, or, or I hope it's kind of like what my soul needs, you know? Yeah, and in those moments too, I think, I think one, I don't think we spend enough time in silence. I, mean, mm -hmm. I think we need a lot more silence than we have. I mean, the the reality is that the you know we're not called to have a soundtrack of our life, right? We're not, that's constantly playing. Yeah, we need these moments of silence, and so I think it's it's really really important. And the more mature we get, you know, spiritually, the, the more we, we long for that, mm -hmm. and the, the longer periods of silence we take. But simultaneously, then it's more important that the music that we listen to doesn't distract us from the silence, doesn't controvert what we've learned from that silence. Mm -hmm. The music contributes to us becoming more of who we are that it inspires us to greatness, as you said, as it contributes to us becoming virtuous. Um, even that it would demand, right? That music would demand something of us in the sense of you know, relationality and how we enter into it and what it does in terms of how it affects our mood and prepares us more to fulfill the mission that we've been given. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's, it's, this is why boxers listen to, you know, Survivor before a fight, you know, Eye of the Tiger, right? You know, which if you got, if you know, if, if you're feeling nostalgic, watch the video. 
That is hilarious. Of Rocky? No, uh, of uh, of Eye of the Tiger. Oh, really? Like oh, the it's, old music video? Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the funniest things. Oh, it's great? Okay. It's great, yeah. Anyways, but, you know, but the idea, though, <laughs> is that, that, you know, that the music plays this important role. And the way that we actually curate and utilize music in our life, because it has these effects on us, mm-hmm. ought to be, you know, Use like that to be part of it. Like, so remember somebody saying to me one time that they consume music like they consume food. Hmm. They're not going to put any trash in their body. That's great. They don't want things. They know what they like. They want things that are healthy and nourishing and they're willing to try new things. And sometimes intermittent fasting is the move. And, and sometimes intermittent fasting is the move, right? Yeah. So like, think, that's how powerful music is in your life, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, if you're like me and predisposed to, to, to try to eat, you know, food that was grown either on your own homestead or within a few miles from your house, like you're going to listen to music that sort of you know, generates and, and supports that and is part of that same type of thing. So yeah. I think, you know, gosh, I've just been reflecting on this more and more. Yeah, music, music plays a central role. And we need to be playing it, I think, more than listening to it. Oh, yeah. Like maybe that's one of the big COVID lessons as well. How few of us know how to pick up a guitar or sit down at a piano and provide live music when the world of live music is shut down. Yep. And you said this early on in our conversation, but... I think it is so cool living in a town, obviously, where there's a lot of local talent. I got to believe there's local talent everywhere. Yep. I've got to believe that there's a way for even our patrons to be out there hosting house concerts all throughout the year. Yep. There's a way for us to patronize local arts, yep. just like we patronize local restaurants or local farms or whatever it might be, local businesses. And maybe that's a little bit more and more in my head and, and heart's at right now is I want to build up creativity and culture where I find myself. I'm less interested in what's popular on Spotify than ever before. I couldn't care less about YouTube, but I'm totally intrigued by all the live music in and amongst the restaurants and venues within a, what, five mile radius of my home. Yeah, And that to me seems like an appropriate next step for a guy who has been spoiled out of his mind for the last 15 years living in Music City, USA. So, this is perhaps a good conversation for all of us to be having about music and intentionally curating, if we want to call it that, the music that does in some way form the soundtrack of our lives. Yeah. But to not be afraid of the silence and the intermittent fasting, right, from music, especially when our, our lives are a bit crazy. But to recognize that, hey, right now, maybe I'm just feeling a bit angsty. Yep. Maybe I need to process that a little bit. And so, you know, we can listen to our our German English yeah. friends. I highly recommend them. They're great. <laughs> but and, you, know, you said patronage too. I mean, this is this is the truth of, of the arts, right? That that the you know, arts flow in currents in which they're able to be supported. Yeah, that's right. And so you know, when we talk about renewing the culture and we talk about presenting music that's authentic and beautiful and true and all those things and can uplift the heart, aspire for greatness. This is, you know, can you imagine if like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci couldn't get commissions and he just like caricatures like you know yeah. in venice just sitting there like you know, right like that because if that was the only economic means he had he would just make those as opposed to the masterpieces he did well so mm-hmm. too with musicians i mean that support becomes so important for him and i've yeah. seen in my own life with friends who are musicians that opportunity to really go aside and create to enter in all those things and, and if they're held to a standard but they know the people that are receiving their art and the way they're contributing are people that want to be lifted up, that want to be served. All these things, man, it just becomes a beautiful relationship that the artist can really then bring the gifts they've been given to give us a, a new tonal quality or a new vision or a new way of seeing life. Mm. That That's beautiful. Yeah, it's huge. I love it. Well, Ryan, it's always such a privilege and uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Peace. And somehow every unexpected cloud 
You're listening to The Detour by Sarah Kroger and Savannah Locke from The Faithful Project. Y'all, what a joy, as it always is, sitting down with Dr. Ryan Hanning and thinking about the role that music plays. Obviously, in our lives, personally, maybe within our families, within our communities, the kind of music that we grew up singing, the kind of music that brings tremendous joy and even nostalgia to our hearts, but also the music that's being created right here, right now, in these times that obviously reflect a lot of the the joy and the sorrow, the tragedies and the triumphs of this generation and of this particular moment in human history and how ultimately all great music, like all great art, must transcend, not only reflect, but transcend reality. It's got to point to the divine, not in an explicit way, not even in an overt way. It just needs to, to raise our hearts towards something and really someone higher, ultimately God himself. So really a fun and I think kind of challenging reminder, right? That music really does matter. And the kind of music, more importantly, that we listen to really doesn't matter. It has an effect on our souls and on our lives and certainly on our culture. Y'all, we are so excited. Season six is obviously well underway. Next week, I'll be sitting down with Father Ryan Adorjan, and we're talking about beards, Okay, beards and stability. Now, when I recorded this with Father Ryan, I had the biggest beard of my life. I am now really clean shaven, okay? Really clean, like smooth as a baby's butt, clean shaven. So I'm looking forward to that conversation because it's gonna be a nice reminder of where I was when, when I had a beard and when he was last in Tampa and we were talking about all kinds of amazing things. But most importantly, the role that stability plays in our lives. So that's going to be coming up next week with Father Ryan Adorjan. In the meantime, we hope you guys are having an amazing sort of end to your summer, beginning to your school years. As always, thank you for your prayers, your support, and especially to all of our patrons out there. You are the ones who make this podcast and make everything that is love good possible. And we can't thank you enough for that. You guys stay classy and we'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.